Welcome to Arkansas AgCast, your source for the latest news and views in Arkansas agriculture. Arkansas AgCast is produced by the Arkansas Farm Bureau Federation. Welcome to Arkansas AgCast for October 29th. I'm your host, Rob Anderson. This week, we wrap up Farm to School Month in Arkansas with a discussion about outstanding school gardens, and we hear from Daniel Kiesler about his custom beef and pork business, Circle K Angus. We also talk to 82-year-old farmer Ellis Bell of Forest City, who founded a local nonprofit for promoting science-based agriculture education, and catch up with Rick Bransford of Lone Oak County about this year's cotton crop. Farm to School Month in Arkansas is coming to a close. Ken Moore spoke with Sarah Lane, Farm to School and Early Childhood Program Coordinator for the Arkansas Department of Agriculture, and Hannah Davis, State School Garden Manager, about the success of their activities this month, despite the challenges presented by COVID-19 and the future of the programs in 2021. Well, the month of October is about to come to a close here, and October, among other things, has been in Arkansas Farm to School Month. It's the annual celebration of the Farm to School program in the state of Arkansas. But uh, because of the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, they've had to conduct their Farm to School Month recognition uh, programs and and, uh, activities uh, a little bit differently this year. And uh, today on this edition of AgCast, I'm speaking with Sarah Lane, Sarah is the Farm to School and Early Childhood Program Coordinator for the Arkansas Department of Agriculture. And we're also going to be speaking with Hannah Davis. She works alongside Sarah there at the Arkansas Department of Agriculture as their state school garden manager. And we're also going to be talking about the School Garden of the Year program, which uh, in the month of October they name uh, uh, school gardens and reward them for their efforts throughout the year in different categories. But, uh, Sarah, thank you for joining us again today. Our listeners on AgCast are not unfamiliar with you. We visited with you before, but as we bring the month of October to a close, just kind of talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic and other factors have had to have had affected you uh, and your farm-to-school month activities. Thanks, Ken, for having me today. So, yeah, October is Arkansas Farm to School Month. Um, Governor Hutchinson has proclaimed it that way since 2015. And last year we did a wonderful in-person celebration at the Capitol where we announced our school garden contest winners and celebrated with other partners. Um, But you are right that this year with the COVID-19 pandemic and also with the weather, we've had to be innovative and creative. And so we have actually partnered with Heifer USA to host a virtual farm field trip that was scheduled um, for Wednesday, October 28th, but actually because of some rain and precipitation coming through, we've postponed it to Friday, October 30th. Um, But we are so excited to partner with them. We, back in May, in response to the pandemic, we hosted another virtual farm field trip, um, and it went over very well. Um, Everyone was really excited, and participants can Uh, ask questions on YouTube live and kind of communicate with the farmer as they're walking through their fields. And it's just a really awesome experience. And so we thought this would be a perfect way, perfect way for us to celebrate Arkansas Farm to School Month this year. So our theme is celebrating local. So that can be eating local foods um, that are purchased maybe from a farmer's market or a local farm, growing local food in school gardens or at farms. And lastly, learning about local for all of our child care centers, 
um, alternative learning environments, and K-12 school settings. Farm to school, the farm to school program uh, is very, very important, and especially during this year of the pandemic, uh, when many children back in the spring, especially, were forced to do their education from home. Uh, providing meals for these young people, for the students, was vitally important. And even though many students have returned to the classroom this fall, uh, talk about the importance of the Farm to School program in making sure these students are fed. Yeah, it's such a good question, Ken. Thank you for asking. Uh, Farm to School is just a great avenue and tool to support education for students that's hands-on and innovative, that connects them to our local Arkansas agriculture, and helps them appreciate our local food system. So we have seen tremendous efforts from our teachers, administrators, farm workers, and farmers as they've adapted to the pandemic. And even this month, we've heard some great success stories from Fayetteville Public Schools who hosted a local harvest lunch where everything on the meal was local. Um, there were some school districts, um, one of them being Jasper School District that was purchasing some local meat from a farmer to celebrate local. And on the flip side, we have other school programs um, down in El Dorado, for example, they had a whole week focused on farm to school where they invited out master gardeners, beekeepers, and tasted local honey. And here in Little Rock, there was a school where every single student was able to plant a radish seed this month. They're watching it grow and going to harvest it to celebrate the end of the month. So teachers and farmers and really communities and parents have stepped up and still created these great opportunities for students for continued education and learning um, and appreciation for Arkansas agriculture. Sarah, even though uh, many students were not able to attend uh, class uh, in person uh, earlier during the growing season uh, this past spring and maybe even, of course, during the, during the summer break, uh, how are these schools still maintaining their school gardens, if you will? and or reaching out to their local farmers and ranchers uh, during this unusual time? Yeah, so what we saw is just increased community support after the pandemic hit, because you're very correct that normally schools, um, the school children help and maintain the school garden, but when everyone got sent home back in March, that was really not able to happen in the same way. However, we did talk to some school garden champions that were doing um, like once a week, families could come out and help tend the garden bed or partnerships with community organizations like extension offices or churches or libraries. Um, those key partners have really been helpful to maintain and take care of the garden, as well as uh, we've really seen the staff step up in a lot of these schools where, where the schools have gardens. They've relied on their garden committees or their green teams and all the staff there to come out and help tend that garden space to make it available um, and, and really see that through for now this school year when students are, who knows, you know, either in person, doing a blended option or virtual. And so um, those school gardens are still growing and continuing and we have, we've been hearing successes from parents who are uh, homeschooling or virtually schooling their students and that they've really stepped up their own home gardens or provided learning opportunities um, in a windowsill, growing some plants. So there's just still so much interest, and the pandemic really hasn't curbed any of that. We just, I think we've actually seen more of an increase, um, more of an interest in farm-to-school and growing foods, 
and wanting to learn about local. That's fantastic. That's just people are stepping up. They're not letting this virus slow them down. They're they're following the protocols because they know the importance of maintaining these gardens and this farm-to-school program. Now that many of our school districts have made these relationships, developed these relationships with local producers, local farmers uh, to supply product for their school cafeterias, if you will, their school uh, food service programs. Uh, it's all important about maintaining those relationships, isn't it? This is vital to to provide Arkansas Grown, which is what the Arkansas Department of Agriculture is all about, rather than having the schools look to out-of-state sources to ship in product or produce, uh, they can get it right in their own backyard from these local farmers. Yes, you're totally you're totally right, and it's all about relationships. Um, so it's about child nutrition directors calling local farmers and maybe using the Arkansas Grown database, um, or it's about farmers reaching out to the school districts near them to build that connection, build that relationship, um, and then provide, you know, the consistency of what schools need. Um, and I do think that the pandemic showed um, how fragile our food system can be. And so these local connections to our farmers um, is a great way for school districts to have reliable food. Um, it also brings in that, that connection, though, to the community because kids can learn from their farmers through a, a virtual farm field trip or um, – a farmer or chef visit to the school. Um, and, and so it really builds in not just the local food piece, but our larger community and how we fit into this. Sure, as we uh, kind of come to a close here in 2020 uh, with this uh, year, what are the plans? What are your plans, if you can share with our listeners, for the Farm to School program uh, in 2021 and going forward? Yeah. So our plans for the rest of the year and then moving forward, um, we're really excited that we're actually compiling a farm-to-school report for the state. Um, we'll be submitting that in December to the governor and some other legislators and then making it public in early January. Um, it's, an, it's the first time that we're ever going to have compiled a snapshot look at what's happening in farm-to-school. And one piece of that is we're going to take a, a step back and look at the last 10 years in Arkansas and really detail out what some of the milestones have been to create the success that we're seeing now in Farm to School. So stay tuned for that report. And we're also going to be continuing to host webinars and trainings, um, trying to make new resources that help farmers and schools buy local food or build school gardens. Um, we're still, you know, moving forward and going to continue to ride this wave of momentum that we see from individuals children, families, and our community who are just really, really excited about farm-to-school efforts. Well, I know one of the things you're very excited about is that you've brought Hannah Davis on to assist you uh, as the state yeah. school garden manager. So we'd like to visit with her uh, a little bit about uh, the school garden contest, the Arkansas Grown School Garden Contest. You announced the uh, six winners. Uh, of your 2020 contest. Hannah, welcome to the team, and it's good Thank visiting you. with you today. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, we're, we were really excited to um, have six awesome schools uh, win in different categories for the contest. Um, we had 32 total entrants um, in the contest, um, which was really exciting. Like um, Like we said, you know, even though COVID has kind of impacted some things, we're still seeing some schools uh, 
keep up their programming and do some really innovative things with their gardens. Um, and we're just seeing a lot of excitement um, in growing the programs. Um, but yeah, we had six, uh, like I said, six schools. Um, we had six different categories, which kind of ranged from, you know, uh, schools with a lot of experience in gardens, a lot of um, years of programming behind them. Um, and we also had schools that applied who were just trying to start up a garden. Um, so yeah, a really good range. Well, talk about, if you will, kind of why this uh, contest has become so important to these local schools and uh, and popular. Uh, you're getting a number of entries, and uh, but there are some, you know, financial rewards for those who have outstanding gardens. Talk about uh, what these different schools earned and uh, the different uh, categories, if you will. Sure. Um, so, yeah, we had uh, – Six different categories. Uh, one of them was the best uh, startup school garden proposal, um, which an elementary school, Fairview Elementary and Texarkana won. Um, and we had a best harvest partnership school garden. And so that was more about, um, you know, uh, schools utilizing local produce and also utilizing school garden produce in the cafeterias and in, you know, different taste tests and classroom lessons and such. Um, another category was our best education-based school garden, um, which we awarded to Access Group Incorporated in Little Rock. Um, and they um, have a lot of really innovative uh, kind of hands-on multi-sensory programs for individuals with developmental disabilities. Um, and so, you know, all of the different classroom instruction techniques and um, hands-on gardening techniques um, and vocational training even um, really contribute to a really awesome education-based garden um, for them. And then uh, another category was the best community collaboration school garden, which, um, you know, Sarah was talking before about the importance of really uh, pulling in a lot of different community organizations and, um, you know, extension libraries, uh, lots of different businesses and restaurants um, within the community to uh, be involved in a garden and how that really helps the sustainability of the garden and the, um, the long lasting um, impact of the garden. Um, and then, we have a best overall school garden category, um, which we awarded to West Arkansas Child Development in Alma, which is an early childhood uh, facility. Um, and they, you know, just all around, they integrated their garden into classroom learning. They had a really wide variety of community partners and an active garden committee. And, you know, all of these things were, uh, you know, why we gave them the overall school garden award. And then finally, um, we awarded Carolyn Lewis Elementary in Conway with the champion of sustaining school gardens. So like I said, a lot of the gardens that um, entered um, are a lot more experienced. Uh, they have uh, more robust garden programs. And so that's why we have a specific category for kind of the, these champion um, school gardens. 
but these gardens to maintain and sustain them, they need financial resources, and so uh, they did exactly. earn some nice uh, financial rewards. Talk about that and, and how your how the Department of Agriculture is assisting them. Yeah, so um, actually we we're excited to be partnering with Farm Credit Associations of Arkansas uh, for the seventh year in a row for this uh, contest, and so they generously provide the monetary awards to the winners. Um, and the monetary awards are e either $500 or $1,000. Um, and so, you know, that just helps with, obviously, general upkeep of the garden for supplies and for different crops and seeds and um, all of that good stuff. Um, and so, of course, the um, monetary reward is a good uh, a good tool to just keep these garden programs sustained. Of course. And as I've spoken with Sarah in the past and worked with the school garden programs across the state, it's all about uh, teaching children where their food comes from and giving them hands-on learning experiences that the teachers then can integrate into their classrooms, isn't it? So we oftentimes see uh, school science teachers as the local coordinators of the school garden programs, and, and, and it just helps children learn to appreciate uh, produce and learn to appreciate, you know, the importance of good nutrition, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, you know, studies have shown that if a child, you know, has a hand in planting the seeds and tending to the crops, they're way more likely to try different vegetables. And so, um, you know, just that early uh, hands-on gardening can really have a lasting impact on, you know, their willingness to uh, eat healthy and eat nutritious um, local food. I was speaking with the coordinator here recently from the access group here in Little Rock of their school garden. And as you said just a moment ago, that is a special school for young people with developmental disabilities, but they have a herb garden that they grow, and uh, they partnered with a local restaurant uh, in Little Rock to provide them with uh, product for their restaurant that, uh, that the uh, Tzatziki's Restaurant, I believe is who it is, serves and includes on their menu. So that's another way that these gardens can, uh, with these local schools, partner with local restaurants to provide locally grown. Right, yeah, the, you know, the types of partnerships are really endless. Um, uh, and it's really cool to, you know, for those students, that is just an amazing thing to be able to say, like, I grew these herbs that are being, you know, eaten by so many people in my community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Hannah, I know you're kind of uh, new to the team there, but, uh, uh, these school gardens are becoming more and more important, and Sarah referenced that. Uh, are you? Uh, do you see your office being uh, contacted more and more by schools needing assistance, wanting information on how they can begin uh, startup gardens? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, as our program is growing, um, of course, we're going to, you know, be more people and more schools are going to, you know, know that we're a resource to tap into. Um, and a big part of that is, uh, you know, growing different programs on our end. One exciting uh, thing that we have going on and that we're just about to 
um, is a new state school garden grant program. And so this is really exciting for us because it's going to allow us to fund um, a lot, you know, a lot more gardens than we have been able to in the past. Um, it's going to allow us to award 40 schools with uh, grants of $500 um, to, you know, fund garden equipment and soil and other necessities. Um, and it also comes with, uh, you know, I'm going to be uh, supporting these school gardens with technical assistance and um, hands-on support if needed. Um, and so it's a really excited, exciting program that we're um, just about to get started on. Hey, that's 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 great. That this is awesome. Well, uh, we appreciate the uh, Department of Agriculture and and its uh, emphasis uh, making this a priority. But you and, and Sarah will be doing uh, going forward together there with other members of your team, and uh, and of course Arkansas Farm Bureau has long understood the need for these school gardens and uh, agricultural education as well. And so uh, we will continue to help publicize uh, what you're doing and, and want to partner with you in any way we can to help uh, these school garden programs be successful and as well as the overall statewide farm to school program. So, uh, hey, kudos to what uh, Sarah, you, and Hannah have done uh, this month and, and throughout the year really uh, dealing with the pandemic and the fact that you uh, are utilizing virtual instruction and reaching out to people through Zoom meetings to inform them about what you're doing and, and how they can get engaged. We just wish you both the best of luck as we uh, kind of put a bow to 2020 and look forward to hopefully uh, moving beyond this pandemic in 2021 and being able to meet in person once again. Well, thank you so much, Ken. And, and know that we couldn't do it without Arkansas Farm Bureau as well. I mean, you were just such a crucial partner in farm-to-school efforts in our local food system with supporting farmers, with ag in the classroom curriculum for teachers, and the, the school gardening um, program that you have as well. So thank you also for your dedicated support to farm-to-school. Um, like we've said, it takes a community, and I'm um, so thankful for your partnership. Well, we're, we're all in this together. That's what we're all about, and we appreciate you guys over there as well. So thanks for updating us uh, as we kind of come to a conclusion of Farm to School Month here this year. And uh, on this edition of Arkansas Agcast, we've been visiting with Sarah Lane and Hannah Davis uh, talking about Farm to School Month here in Arkansas. Next, Keith Sutton talks to Ellis Bell of Forest City. At 82, he continues actively farming land in St. Francis County that his family has been farming since 1878. He also works with Bell Community Services, a nonprofit organization he founded to promote science-based agricultural education and help minority students find agribusiness career opportunities. Welcome to AgCast. I'm Keith Sutton with Arkansas Farm Bureau. And today I am visiting with Mr. Ellis Bell in Forest City over in St. Francis County. Uh, we're visiting his farm today and uh, kind of seeing what the operation's like. And Mr. Bell, we welcome you to our AgCast. Mr. Sutton, I'm happy to be speaking with you today. Uh, I'm an 82-year-old farmer, grew up in this area. Uh, the land that we're on now, this particular land was deeded to my great-great-grandfather in 1887 and uh, he came here after the Civil War and purchased this land and uh, and he lived here until his death and he's about 47 when he died and my siblings is 
continue to, to, to keep the land in the family, and I purchased it from the family. But yeah, I grew up here, and I went to Forest City High School here, and uh, and I used to walk five miles of school one way uh, down uh, uh, 226, in which you traveled to get here, and walk back home those five miles. So those were some difficult days, and you know we were, we are a resilient farm family and i'm happy to be one who's now carrying it on and um i fear, you know have been around farming is one of the things that i always wanted to do but as a youngster growing up my father couldn't borrow money from the local bank uh, when we went to the local bank to borrow money they always sent us to a out place where you know they let they would let you have money i'm sure it was for a higher interest rate but that's where we kind of borrowed our money to buy land and stuff like that back in the day and and my father was a renter he wasn't a sharecropper uh of other lands uh he didn't he did farm this land but he had other lands that he was also farming you know that's how we got it but and when i finished high school i couldn't borrow money to farm so i left in uh, the four city area and worked in the aviation industry in st louis and from the aviation industry i took in courses in insurance and became an insurance broker and by being an insurance broker i was my own boss uh and of course and i started running the family farm back in uh I'd say 67, 68, 71, back in those days, I was playing around with it. And I'd use the money from the insurance business in order to buy more land and buy farm equipment. Um, I was denied uh, farm loan from farm, uh, from NRCS. Uh, I was denied to de uh, the right to participate from uh, farm service agency and people like that. They've changed their name since then, but those were the same people same organization, but they were denying most, in fact, all black farmers as far as I know. But by my, by me having an insurance business, uh, I was able to have my, my, the money that, you know, and really, it was really other people's money, if you want to know the truth. And I used that money to buy land and, and, and farm with. Can you uh, tell people today what do you farm? What crops and, and how big is your farm? Well, I'm farming uh, 575 acres uh, here in, in San Francisco County. I, I grow rice, uh, rotated with corn. Uh, I grow uh, soybeans. I grow wheat. I've grown milo for the rotation. And those are the principles. This year is mainly rice and soybeans, some corn. One of the first things you see when you drive into your home is a Century Farm sign. And uh, it says Ellis Bell Farm. That means that your farm is over 100 years old. The way I figured it, based on the date on the sign, it's at least 140 years old. That's, that's incredibly old for this part of the world. It must be very fulfilling to be able to farm land that's been with your family so many years well it is fulfilling uh that's um you know that's uh, the hundred i mean this uh, 
1878, you know, was the year that my grand grandfather purchased it. And I'm happy to be farming. I'm happy about my farm life. Uh, I guess I wouldn't have my bringing up any other any other way. I'd rather have been a farmer than anything else I know, uh, because I've had a chance to be a lot of things. I could have stayed in the insurance business. Of course, the insurance business was, uh, was about 47 years. I was about 47 years in the insurance business. Wow. So uh, I'm happy now to bring to the minority, I mean, to bring to the Afro-American community the, uh, it, was, it, was, it was recognized by me as a farmer in the 70s when I was really trying to get started back full time as a farmer or more active in the farm industry and that Afro-American people was left out of the food business, it was left out of the agriculture industry. And uh, I decided that I wanted to set up an organization that would introduce to uh, the Afro-American people how important it was to farm or to have a farming connection or to f take farm courses in school and things like that. I set up an organization called Bell's Community Service. This was a nonprofit organization. And we set up a program that was called uh, uh, FARMY, F-A-R-M-Y. And we set this up in 06, I say 07, as Future Agriculture Resource for Minority Youth. That's what we called it. And um, I brought it to the attention of Monsanto that the farming industry was on the rise and if they couldn't get employees uh, from America, that they would be getting employees from other parts of the world. And I informed them that it was important that they encourage Afro-Americans to become involved in farming or uh, farm-related things, including classrooms. And they jumped on it with all four feet, surprisingly, but they did. And uh, from that, I was funded by Monsanto, help with it, well, it was through my insurance agency, Bells and Associates, <laughs> and Monsanto, that we got this started. But after that, we was also joined in this effort by the United Soybean Board. Unfortunately, uh, when we started our program in, at UAPB, that was the first program we ran, and we ran that two years, uh, 2008 and 2009. I uh, tried to uh, introduce that around in the uh, area and try to get Farm Bureau of of Arkansas to join us and the Arkansas uh, soybean people, but I couldn't get an audience with them. And, uh, but we ran the programs and we ran from programs in Bolivar County, Mississippi, and St. Louis and St. Louis County, East St. Louis, Illinois. And these kids were just, I mean, just out of sight. The things that they learned and things that they never knew that existed in the farm industry. They wasn't aware that from an agriculture standpoint, my message to them would be, look around in the room. You can't name me anything in this room that's not agro-related. 
and that got people to thinking, including the instructors, and these was after what we call after after school project programs that we ran. And I mean, it was just tremendous. And I couldn't be more happy about that. We ran this for 10 years. And then, of course, I kind of got burnt out because in addition, in addition to running that program, I was also farming and I was also running the insurance business. That's a lot to do all at one time. It was, but I had the energy and it was something that I wanted to do and I enjoyed doing it and it worked really well. But it kind of fell by the wayside, so now we're trying to rejuvenate this. The the uh, American, the uh, the U.S. soybean people was not anyone that was involved with us. They were surprised that we we kind of fell apart because they were also interested in what we were doing. They thought it was a great thing. So we're trying to get it going again. So I'm I'm looking forward to pulling this back back together. So you're hoping if I, I, I did a little bit of research before I came to visit you and uh, Bell Community Services strives to work with colleges and urban schools uh, to try to promote agricultural education so that young uh, minority students could find perhaps a job in that field. Am I correct? Right. But let me rephrase that a little okay. bit. Okay. In, in 09, 08 and 09, we ran this under the uh, farming program, uh, and that was to help minority kids. But after 09, when we started getting funded by Monsanto and other organizations, we felt like that there was not only minority kids that needed to know about these programs. Sure. So we ushered in other nationalities. Good. In fact, one program that we ran in St. Louis, we were really uh, targeting the Afro-American community. But when we went to this school and we started recruiting, we closed our eyes. And when we opened it, we found out that the whole classroom was was non-Afro-American students. So we had to reshuffle to get some Afro-American kids in the school. And these was after-school programs. Right. Uh, that's what they were. They weren't part of the curriculum of the school. Right. But, you know, they welcomed us with an open arms and made a way for that to be done during the school hours. And you're working now. You would like to try to, to rejuvenate that or, or, or restart what you've already worked on. You're, you're 82 years old, and most people would say... Uh, uh, maybe it's time to retire. You've been working on your farm. I know you're very active uh, with your farm right now. I know when we've spoken, you've been busy with uh, planting cover crops and getting your harvest in. How in the world do you ever find enough time and energy to continue on? How It must be very, very important to you. It is. It is important to me. Uh, I, I, like I say, I, I always wanted to, to farm. I couldn't do it back in the day when I wanted to. And now that I've gotten started, it's hard to stop me. But even <laughs> with a stroke two years ago, you know, mm. I still didn't miss a crop. So Wow. That says uh, a lot. I am pretty resilient, but I do intend to slow down uh, in 2021. That should be my last year. And I'm hoping that... Uh, Either I can uh, take my nonprofit organization, take the farm, and 
use it as an educational tool, uh, maybe through some university. Uh, you know, we're hoping to put together a program. I got a couple of dynamic people who's going to be working with me. Uh -huh. One of them is in research. Uh, she used to be with Dr. Fauci, and uh -huh. she's my first cousin, and she's uh -huh. still doing research. And um, she's going to be part of it. And then there's another person who used to run a nonprofit agency in the city of St. Louis. And, and in that nonprofit agency, I used to do food giveaway as well. Huh. And I used to take up sweet potatoes and various things and give to the areas where people were being fed and things like that. Right. So that person is also uh, is going to be joining me in my efforts. So we have a lot of people, a lot of resources that we're going to pull together as soon as we can get this nonprofit status back up and running again. Because we mess around and let it, you know, kind of go defunct on us. So if somebody's listening to this, Mr. Bell, and they are moved to maybe reach out to you, is there a, a good way for, for folks to get in touch? Uh, if they'd like to help in some way? Well, we, our website is, is, is being put together. Okay. And uh, it's probably going to be a, uh, maybe another month or two before it's up and running. They're waiting on me to put together some things to put on the website. Right. And uh, at the moment, I'm just, I guess I got my, finished my rice this past Thursday a week Right, ago. right. So I'm still trying to uncover some things to to uh, get my marketing completed and things like that and before I do some things that I need to do. But yes, they can uh, just kind of stay tuned. Um, uh, my phone number, of course, is area code 314-570-1774. Uh, my email address is uh, ellisbell at people, P-E-O-P-L-E, P-C.com. And uh, certainly, you know, I'm looking forward to doing the same thing we did before, but more in a more updated and aggressive way. That's what we're looking forward to. And I hope that takes me away from the farming. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to share with us some of your, your family and farming history. And uh, most of all, we wish you luck in... Uh, uh, getting uh, Bell Community Services, doing what you want it to do. Obviously, you've spent a lifetime trying to help others, and, and that's all been tied to agriculture. And uh, as a farmer, uh, we appreciate you taking time when you're busy this time of year to uh, share with us some of your family story and the story of Bell Community Services as well. Well, I want you to know that I've just touched on just a little bit of what I've been involved in in my lifetime. And I have, you know, uh, a lot that I think I can help I do along these lines and I'm willing to keep working at it. 16 minutes is pretty short time to pack 82 years into a, an interview, but we appreciate you uh, telling us what you did. I think uh, perhaps our listeners will be moved to uh, maybe reach out and help, and we certainly hope that. Well, you have a great day, and thanks for the interview. 
Now Greg Patterson chats with Daniel Kiesler of Circle K Angus Farms in Sheridan. Kiesler and his family have been in the custom beef and pork business since 2005. His wife's battle with cancer changed the way he now raises his animals and manages his farmland. Listen to his compelling story. This is Greg Patterson with Arkansas Farm Bureau, and on this edition of Arkansas AgCast, our guest is Daniel Kiesler, and Daniel's with Circle K Angus Farm. And he operates that farm uh, right near Ozark, Arkansas. And Daniel, welcome to uh, Arkansas AgCast. Thanks, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you have a operation. I think you've got uh, your farm there in Ozark, in Ozark, and then you also have one near Sheridan. And you're raising uh, what we call custom meats. Uh, you raise hogs. You raise beef. Uh, you sell that online. Uh, a lot of people have been getting involved in that lately, and it's become more and more popular. But you've got a long history in doing this, starting, what, back 12, 15 years ago? Yeah, we, we started out in about 2005. And, of course, we we just started out to uh, raise a little bit of meat for our family. We wanted a higher-quality meat, and uh, that, that definitely led into more family members wanting it and, Closer friends begin to want it, and church members begin to want it. So it just kind of took off from there. Well, and and you mentioned family, and and I know family is a big deal for you. So uh, why don't you take an opportunity right now to uh, give praise to that family that's around you? You bet. So of course, my dad is a very integral part of this uh, uh, whole whole business, and uh, my my wife and my kids and. And so, uh, you know, without without those support and help, we would never be able to do it. There's lots of work to be done on a farm, and of course, there's many benefits from it too. But uh, you know, we get to enjoy God's creation, and we get to instill work ethic in our kids. We get to kind of be home and work together, and and so there's a there's a real symbiotic event of events of things happening there that's that that pushes us to a a thing that we're very happy about. Now, you know, one of the things that, that of course, I've, I've known you and your brother, Ed, who's, who's been involved as well um, for a number of years, but one of the things that, that I noticed that you do is you're real serious about, um, you know, making things healthy. And you're, you're big on on sustain, sustainable soils, uh, the health of the soil, um, you do a lot of grass fed, um, and, and kind of give us the reasons why you went into that. You bet. So we'll have to give you a little context into our story, but we, we began in 05. And as I said, that was just to have a higher quality meat. Uh, I wasn't really doing it for health, but I did know I didn't want my meat to be laden with antibiotics or hormones, but we were still, you know, feeding lots of grain and doing things. Of course, about 2011 is when uh, we began a journey that would just forever change our lives in so many ways. And, of course, that, that journey was my wife getting cancer. And uh, so through that journey of receiving that diagnosis, and we went through multiple, many surgeries. And, and after surgeries, you know, the chemo and radiation starts, and we did that for about 12 months. So it was about an 18-month ordeal. And and finally, you know, after that, of course, we were uh, worn down and battle-scarred, but we did finally receive the 
you know, all clear, cancer-free diagnosis. And so we were relieved and, and we were ready to get back to trying to build strength and, and get back to a, a sense of normalcy. Uh, but, uh, you know, that they set you up for all these scans that come after. And the first one was just two or three months after. And right. as soon as we went to one of those scans, of course, we found out that uh, the cancer had returned. And oh. so we... We we knew that, man, the last 18 months was one of the hardest things we'd ever done in life, and we felt like we barely survived it. And so uh, we, we began to think of, of how invasive and life-draining it was, and so we we were determined to fight. We weren't giving up, but we, we really did not want to go back to that model. So we set out to just find a different solution, and so – we looked into more natural, holistic-style treatments, and like I said, I, I understand and know that uh, we were not sold out on that. We did not know if it would work. We were just at a place that we didn't want to go back to what we had done. Uh, so we did research. We did call in some experts. We did begin to put some of them in our lives and implement their advice and results, and it was uh, really a blessing to know that about four to five months of doing this, uh, we received a cancer-free diagnosis again, and we used no medicines. We were much better off than the first 18 months, and so we got really excited about that. That really made us believers in the holistic system, and so that just caused us to put more time and effort and energy into it, so we began educating ourselves more and and uh, we, we became very passionate about it, and we finally saw that there was a problem uh, and there was a solution to the problem, and the solution was not treating the symptoms but getting to the root. So really what we saw in a nutshell that the problem was was a lack of nutrients in our food and an abundance of all of these toxins, chemicals, and preservatives, and so through this research, we really found out that if you don't receive the proper vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that our system needs, but instead overload it with these toxins and chemicals and preservatives that our bodies don't know how to handle, then what we end up doing is, is getting to a place of sickness. I mean, we, we get it to that where our bodies cannot have the natural ability to fight. So the end result of all that I think we all see is a society laden with obesity and diabetes and high cholesterol and high blood pressure and autoimmune diseases and cancer and all these things that we can all see. So we ultimately wanted to uh, really dive in and hone in of exactly what this problem was and how could we help offer solutions to it. So that led us to continually educate ourselves and we now realize the tremendous health benefit of consuming foods that are not heavily laden with toxins and chemicals, which is more organic. And so it's a nutrient-dense food. It's not depleted. It's a whole food, you know, not a process. And so when we do that, our bodies function properly. So through all that education and through all that uh, trial and tribulation, we really learned how to make changes to our practices and principles, uh, not only in our life, but on the farm. And so really? it, it's, it's our belief that this healthy food begins in the soil, and many 
of us don't try to manage this soil. This soil is the lifeblood to this creation. And so uh, that's the main reason we try to push holistic, regenerative, organic practices. We believe in being a good steward of this creation. But, of course, our goal is to also educate and encourage and inspire those that come within our circle of influence. So, you know, we strive every day to make a difference in people's lives, and we do that by relationships that we have, but we also do that by managing our soils and forages and animals in this type of manner because the results are cleaner and healthier air, water, animals, and then, of course, ultimately people. So that's what we're passionate about. Wow, that that deserves an amen and a hallelujah. I mean, that that's quite um, – I knew a little bit about your story, but I didn't know the depth there of, you know, just starting – uh, a, a freezer meat type of business and then the, the complete change as you move forward and and I love the aspect of it uh, of, of the soil and everything coming from the soil because we know that uh, the science is behind that as well and uh, y'all have done a great job um, Daniel Kiesler has been our guest today He's with Circle K Angus Farms. And, Daniel, uh, I'm sure people will be interested in, in wanting to go online and, and uh, you know, possibly become customers of y'all. How do they go about doing that? Absolutely. Well, we love to talk with people. We love to uh, get to know people and build relationships. We love to help in any way we can. It's not just about selling meat. But uh, they can find us at CircleKAngusFarm.com. They can also find us at Circle K Angus Farm on Facebook. And, of course, uh, e- either one of those websites, our emails, our numbers are all there. Uh, we, we just encourage people to uh, reach out. Uh, again, we, we, we like to help people. We like to build relationships. And if, if we don't have what it takes to help, then, of course, we're going to point you in the right direction just because we believe that's the right thing to do. So you could definitely find us online through social media, or through our website. Daniel Kiesler has been our guest today on this edition of Arkansas AgCast. And, Daniel, thank you so much. I'm sure we'll visit with one another again. You bet. Thank you, Greg. Finally, Ken Moore speaks to Rick Bransford. Bransford's family established their farm in Lono County in the 1850s, and he has continued the family operation for the past 40 years. Ken Moore visited the farm and spoke with Rick about his operation and the challenging 2020 crop season. On this edition of Arkansas AgCast, I'm over just south of Lone Oak on Mr. Rick Bransford's farm where he is wrapping up his cotton harvest uh, because of uh, delayed planting back in the spring, way too much rainfall back in the spring, crop got in a little bit late. Normally he'd have it all picked and uh, to the gin by now, but uh, they're wrapping it up today. And Mr. Bransford, thank you for giving me a few minutes of your time just to talk about uh, the challenges we've heard from other farmers off and on over the last several weeks during the harvest season, whether they're harvesting corn, rice, and now cotton. And uh, what kind of year has it been for you? I know down south just last week, they got hit pretty good by the remnants of uh, Hurricane Delta, uh, slowed them down and really soaked the cotton that was still in the field. But I understand you kind of dodged that bullet. Yes, we, we dodged uh, Hurricane Delta a little bit. We just caught an edge about an inch and a quarter is all we really got there. 
and uh, I just we were just right on the edge, so close. But you know, it would have been would have been good to have done. We would have been we would have had everything out by then if we had missed that one. But as it is, that's that's this is never never in our control. That's right. Now the crop I'm looking at right here off to the side of us looks pretty pretty beautiful. Uh, it looks like you've got a nice quality crop uh, that you're going to be picking today. Cotton is one most beautiful crop you at harvest time than any other any other crop. Uh, rice, like I said earlier, is a close second. But anyway, when when cotton is out there in white, this I've had a lot of people come up and ask me if they can take photographs of their family out in the cotton fields and I said sure as long as you can get here before the cotton picker gets there but but anyway this is it is a it is a picturesque fields what kind of uh, yield do you think you're going to get this year with all the uh, rainfall and the challenges you've had well I think what we're really going to be looking at is that two and a half and three bale cotton uh, I wish I could say it was going to be just underneath four bale of cotton and I, I can say that and be truthful about it. It's going to be under four bales. Might be two and a half, might be three. But anyway, this is we're going to get all we're going to get out of it, and that's all we're going to do. Well, you, uh, it's amazing uh, the yields that uh, our farmers are able to have despite the challenges uh, because with these tropical systems, uh, I think this is a, a fall for the record books. Uh, and the National Weather Service will tell you we've had more tropical systems develop and then so many of them come up right up through the gulf and the remnants come right up over arkansas we get that moisture uh at an inopportune time but still despite all that whether it be rice yield corn yield or now cotton yield you're still going to have a pretty good crop in 1984 there are two things i remember about the month of october of 84 we had 20 inches of rain that month and we and my daughter was born so you know you know i put put my daughter being born in 20 inches of rain that month in about the same level of mem my, my memory uh, we in 84 we started picking on the on the 28th of September we quit picking and we didn't get to pick any more cotton again till the first of November so we it was and it was a it was a soggy soggy fall October but we have been blessed with many other good Octobers, so anytime we get, you just got to count your blessings every time. Now, I understand your family has quite a history of growing cotton and, and farming right here in Lone Oak County. Talk about your family history and, and how you, long you've been doing this. Well, I've been doing I've been farming for about 40 years now. And, of course, I started out playing on the turn rows, and, and I have just continued. But, uh, you know, my family first started in uh with a military land grant in 1853 wow. and you know farming around here my my great great grandfather my great grandfather and and so forth and you know my father started his first crop around 1950 and and you know, i have been i've been on the turn row ever since 54 so <laughs> anyway but i have been you know uh been doing this for for a while i have seen a lot of beautiful crops and i just hope we get to do it all over again next year god willing well to continue on that long you've had to overcome many many challenges you and your uh, uh family before you uh good night prices are so cyclical you know as you know with cotton especially our cotton price just went in the tank a few years back and 
and uh, we lost every gin here in this county. I remember when, when you had, I think you said, five gins in Lone Oak County alone. Yeah. Uh, you don't have a single one now. But uh, still, you haven't thrown in the towel, and you keep on growing. Cotton has just really become a, like a family with us. You know, we, we have been involved in the cotton leadership programs and, and through the, in the whole industry. My father was, uh, the, you know, on the, he was president of the, of the National Cotton Jenners for, for a while. And anyway, we have just never left cotton. And we, even in the lean times, we might cut down and not grow a whole lot of acres. But we always, we never did leave. And I am so thankful that we, we had the perseverance to, to keep going. And, and maybe we will have a lot more good cotton crops behind us and ahead of us. Certainly, of course. Now, you were telling me also earlier that uh, you grow green beans right here off to the side of your cotton field here and uh, some edamame for the first time. Edamame is kind of a new crop for bean growers, but uh, how's that been for you this year? It was. We have the best green bean crop we have ever had, and all I can say is that God blessed it. We grew almost a little over six tons of green beans to an acre. Our, and we chased them with edamames on the, I think the 22nd of July is when we, June is when we planted those. And we still got a, a good crop out of them. And anyway, it's, they're, they're good to eat. They're fun. And it didn't take anything specialized for us to, to, to do different than what we do with our conventional soybeans. In the same way with the green beans, it's all just like growing conventional soybeans. But we are subject to making sure that we don't injure ourselves with any off-target spraying, or you know, make sure our neighbors know that we got some, you know, got some conventional crops over here. So you know, be careful. And anyway, these these are what you things you always have to kind of work with. We were, like I said, we were blessed, and we we did a did a lot of green beans to the food banks and to the to my mother-in-law's where we canned a bunch of quarts. <laughs> You're going to be enjoying those green beans for a long time now. I bet you canning is uh, something our moms and grandmothers love to do, right? Put back for later, and nothing like fresh-grown green beans off the farm. It's it's such a blessing to to be able to eat something that you actually grew here on the farm, and when you know they the the people that we harvest that we grow the green beans for they bring their their big mechanical harvesters down, and we don't have to get down on our hands and knees and pull off the vines. They just dump them onto our little trailer, and we carry them off and carry them to the to the food banks and to my mother-in-law's where they they will uh, they will can the green beans for about three days and and we will have enough to eat for two or three years it seems like that's awesome now one other thing just kind of came to me with soybeans and and cotton uh this story has been told before but enemy number one for soybeans and cotton farmers is palmer amaranth uh pigweed your cotton field right here is remarkably clean i don't see a single weed how how are you dealing with that? And, uh, you know, farmers are adapting, aren't they, to try to deal with that so you can get a good, clean crop? We have been working on, on this for probably about a good 10, 12 years, trying to keep it as clean as we can. We, we, we do, a lo- I believe, in, I'm a big believer in pre-emerge. Uh, pre-emerge is the, you've got to keep it from coming up. That's the main 
main thing, keep it from coming up. Uh, and now we don't use the, the enlist or we don't use the, the, uh, the, the ICAMBA material yet. We have been using our cotton, just Liberty and round and on Roundup on this, but we've been using a lot of pre-merge. Make everything we every time we went across, it seemed like we were throwing a little pre-merge out, just to keep things from coming up. We have we have also been incorporating a lot of uh, ground cover and using that and and with our and we it was as a part of our weed control. I think it's good for the soil. I think it's good for the for the weed control too. Uh, I have seen you know in, in using our no-till. And now that we're using ground cover too, uh, I have seen the water run off of these fields just look like it's running out of tap water compared to others who it just looks like a brown milkshake running out of the ditch. Uh, it's, it's a big difference when you have the ground cover and the no-till. And it's, I just, it's not just a matter of trying to save trips, diesel and all that going across the field. It really does affect the positively the soil and, and your weed control. Farmers are learning new ways to deal with these pests and these weeds, and uh, that, that's very interesting. Uh, well, Mr. Bransford, I know the, the harvest season is not totally over. You have a few more beans yet to, uh, to combine and harvest? We have just only about a couple more hundred acres of, of soybeans to cut. But we also have about uh, 275 acres of rice to, oh, okay. that was planted late, and we are we are enjoying the 80 degree temperatures right now. Just try to move things along a little bit quicker, so maybe here in a you know, a day or two we can get back in and and put things in in the grain bins. Well, it's always a celebration when the harvest is complete, and you can uh, give a word of thanks at Thanksgiving for the good year that it's been that you've survived the year can begin 2021 you know on a positive note yes we're we're always hoping for the for that next best crop to come along and next best price we can get but you know this is this is how we have to deal with things and certainly the the politics of things have affected the how we market our cotton and market our beans and market our rice and we just have to again adapt and be able to do the best we can Farmers are the most resilient people I know. And your ability to adapt to market conditions, weather conditions, is just an amazing testimony to me. Thank you, Mr. Bransford, for sharing with us a little bit about how your year has gone. And uh, we wish you all the best uh, later this fall as we get near these holiday periods here before too long and uh, look forward to 2021. Uh, thank you, Ken. I, I appreciate it. I want everybody to stay safe. This, this is... There's still things out there, and we just have to have to do the best we can. Been talking to Rick Bransford on his farm here south of Lone Oak on this edition of AgCast. That wraps things up for another Arkansas AgCast. We'll be back next week with the latest news, interviews, and updates on Arkansas agriculture.